This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Make no mistake, that was no apple. It is high time someone corrected this gross misunderstanding. Adam and Eve yielded to the allure of a fig, the fruit of temptation, desire and passion, not some crunchy apple. I don't mean to belittle a fellow plant, but what chance does a bland apple have next to a luscious fig that still today, so long after the original sin, tastes like lost paradise? So I want to talk about fig trees, a particular type of fig tree, a ficus carica. And of course, trees are much more sentient than we assume or recognize. They're not like some kind of passive background decor. You know, they're much more alive than we're aware of. And even though there has been a remarkable body of work about trees, uh, especially in the last decades, there's still so much we haven't discovered about trees and the complexities of plant life, both over the ground, but also under the ground. And especially in my opinion, fig trees sustain entire ecosystems. They're so important for insects and for animals, and of course, for us human beings. In my latest novel, The Island of Missing Trees, there is a ficus carica, there is a fig tree, a she tree, a female tree, and this is how she speaks, you know, she narrates parts of the story throughout the book. I am a ficus carica, known as the edible common fig, though I can assure you there's nothing common about me. I'm a proud member of the great Mulberry family. Originating in Asia Minor, I can be found across a vast geography, from California to Portugal and Lebanon, from the shores of the Black Sea to the hills of Afghanistan and the valleys of India. Fig trees, those who know us will tell you, have long been regarded as sacred. In many cultures, spirits are believed to reside inside our trunks, some good, some bad, and some undecided, all invisible to the uninitiated eye. Others claim that every genus of ficus is in truth a meeting point, a gathering place of sorts. Under, around and above us they mass, not only humans and animals, but also creatures of light and shadow. There are plenty of stories about the way the leaves of a banyan tree, a relative of mine, can all of a sudden rustle in the absence of even the slightest breeze while other trees remain motionless when the entire universe seems to stand still, the banyan stirs and speaks, a thickening in the air like a premonition. It is a spooky sight, should you ever see it happen. Humans have always sensed there was something uncanny about me and my kind. That is why they come to us when in need or in trouble and tie velvet ribbons or strips of fabric on our branches. 
and sometimes we help them without them even noticing. How else do you think those twin brothers, Romulus and Remus, would have been found by a she-wolf, had their basket floating dangerously in the waters of the river Tiber not got caught in the roots of a ficus ruminalis? In Judaism, sitting under a fig tree has long been associated with a deep, devout study of the Torah. And while Jesus might have held in disfavor a certain barren fig tree, let us not forget it was a poultice made of us that, upon being applied to his wound, saved Hezekiah. The prophet Muhammad said the fig was the one tree that he wished to see in paradise. There's a surah with our name in the Quran. It was while meditating under a ficus religiosa that Buddha attained enlightenment. And did I mention how King David was fond of us or how we inspired hope and new beginnings in every animal and human on board the Ark of Noah? Anyone who seeks refuge under a fig tree, for whatever reason, has my deepest sympathy. And humans have been doing so for centuries, all the way from India to Anatolia, from Mexico to El Salvador. The Bedouin settle their disagreements in our shade. The Druze kiss our bark reverently, placing personal objects around us, praying for Marifa. Both Arabs and Jews make their wedding preparations beside us, hoping for marriages sturdy enough to weather any storms which may lie ahead. Buddhists want us to blossom near their shrines, and so do Hindus. Kikiyu women in Kenya daub themselves with the sap of fig trees when they want to get pregnant, and it is the same women who defend us bravely whenever someone tries to cut down a sacred mugumo. Now I need to tell you that this tree, this female tree, is also a tree in love. But unusually, she's in love with a human being, a botanist, a scientist called Kostas, Kostas Kazanjakis. And this is the part where she talks about love. This year, love, not unlike the unusual winter, had crept up on me, so gradual and subtle in its intensity that by the time I realized what was happening, it was already too late to guard myself. I was stupidly, pointlessly besotted with a man who would never think of me in an intimate way. It embarrassed me, this sudden neediness that had come over me, this deep yearning for what I could not have. I reminded myself that life was not a trade agreement, a calculated give and take, and not every affection needed to be returned in kind. But the truth was, I just couldn't stop wondering what would happen if Kostas Kazanjakis were to reciprocate someday if a human were to fall in love with a tree. I know what you're thinking. How could I, an ordinary ficus carica, possibly be in love with a homo sapiens? I get it. I'm no beauty, never been more than plain looking, I'm no Sakura, the dazzling Japanese cherry tree with its winsome pink blossoms extending in four directions, all glitz and glamour and swagger. I'm no sugar maple, 
aglow in stunning shades of ruby red, saffron orange and golden yellow, blessed with perfectly shaped leaves, a total seductress. And I'm certainly no wisteria, that exquisitely sculptured purple femme fatale. Nor am I the evergreen gardenia with its intoxicating perfume and glossy verdant foliage, or the bougainvillea with its magenta splendor climbing up and spilling over adobe walls under the baking sun, or the dove tree which keeps you waiting for so long and then offers the most enchanting, romantic flower bracts that flap in the breeze like scented handkerchiefs. I don't have any of their charms, I admit. If you were to pass me on the street, you probably give me, wouldn't give me another glance. But I would like to believe I'm attractive in my own disarming way. What I lack in beauty and popularity, I make up for in mystery and inner strength. Throughout history, I have seduced into my canopy droves of birds, bats, bees, butterflies, ants, mice, monkeys, dinosaurs, and also a certain confused couple wandering around aimlessly in the Garden of Eden, a glazed look in their eyes. Make no mistake, that was no apple. It is high time someone corrected this gross misunderstanding. Adam and Eve yielded to the allure of a fig, the fruit of temptation, desire and passion, not some crunchy apple. I don't mean to belittle a fellow plant, but what chance does a bland apple have next to a luscious fig that still today, so long after the original sin, tastes like lost paradise? With all due respect to believers, it makes no sense to assume that the first man and the first woman were tempted to sin by eating some plain old apple and that finding themselves naked, shivering and mortified, and despite fearing God would catch them at any moment, they nonetheless took a stroll through the enchanted garden until they stumbled across a fig tree and decided to wrap themselves in its leaves. It's an interesting story, but something doesn't add up here. And I know what it is. Me. Because it was me all along. The tree of good and bad, light and dark, life and death, love and heartbreak. Adam and Eve shared a tender, ripe, deliciously alluring, aromatic fig, splitting it open right down the middle, and as the fleshy, opulent sweetness dissolved on their tongues, they began to see the universe around them in a completely new light, because that is what happens to those who attain knowledge and wisdom. Then they covered themselves with the leaves of the tree they happened to be standing under. As for the apple, I am sorry, it didn't even feature. Look into each religion and creed and you will find me there, present in every creation story, bearing witness to the ways of the humans and their endless wars, combining my DNA in so many new forms that today I can be found on almost every continent across the world. Of lovers and admirers, I have had plenty. Some have even gone crazy for me, crazy enough to forget everything else and stay with me until the end of their brief lives, like my little fig wasps. Even so, I understand none of that makes me entitled to love a human being and hope 
to be loved back. Not a very sensible thing to do, I admit, to fall for someone who is not of your kind, someone who will only complicate your life, disrupt your routine and mess with your sense of stability and rootedness. But then again, anyone who expects love to be sensible has perhaps never loved.